Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. Once again with Dave Shields, uh, talking a lot about exciting modern stuff, some new developments. Uh, but first, we got a little story time and uh, subsequently a little little ad read. Uh, at the RC in Atlanta, I was just kind of walking around, talking to people, uh, folks who I haven't seen in like four years. Uh, one of these folks uh, is a dude by the name of Dustin Taylor, dude that you know, correct? Boston guy, Boston ringer. And yeah, we're, we're talking about just like life and what's going on, you know? And he was like, hey, actually, I got someone I want you to meet. And walks me over to this booth, uh, introduces me to this guy, Randy, who is the, the owner of this company, Heavy Play. We get to talking. Randy shows me his stuff. I really like it. We start talking business. Now I have a little ad read for them. And I like their stuff. Their stuff is really good. So they basically make card gaming accessories, right? And I know that a lot of people hear that. It's just like, oh, like another, like one of these companies or whatever. But I, I kind of disagree. I think that folks should pay attention. I think that they should listen because I genuinely like this stuff. And I am very picky. Uh, <laughs> I have I have been playing games for well over 20 years. I have used basically like every product that has ever come out. And I like heavy play stuff quite a bit, which is the only reason why we're even doing this, because we don't do ads very often. And almost never. Almost never. Uh, and that's that's not for lack of emails that we get, you know, but. Yeah, they they have very good, like, high-end quality products. And one thing that kind of tilts me as a person who goes to a bunch of events is just, like, having to continually rebuy, like, deck boxes and play mats and stuff like that because over time it just, like, wears out. And I feel like heavy play stuff is definitely going to last. Like, it is... All their stuff seems to be built very, very well. Also has a lot of cool features. Uh, for example, like their their deck boxes. Uh, they have deck boxes, dice trays, a play mat. And all of it kind of like connects together with magnets. It's very cool, very sleek, very nice, very modern. Very satisfying. Yeah, that too. So I had those folks uh, also send Dave some stuff because you were not in Atlanta. And tell me, tell me about your experience, what you thought. I mean, you didn't really give me the full background story. You just like asked me for my confirmed my shipping address. And then I randomly a week later got like a care package that I had no idea what was going to be in it. Um, and this is like right around I, baby time. So this was fun. I kind of like this, though, because it's like here. Here are some presents. Have fun. Yeah. And it wasn't like I had no context whatsoever. Right. So I had no idea what was going to be in it. I had no idea what was associated with it. And I essentially just got like one of everything. Right. A couple of different deck boxes and a different styles and sizes, a couple of different play mats, which you later told me that they were yours. So I was going to have to give one, one of those up. <laughs> one is mine. Um, yeah. And a couple of packs of sleeves and stuff. And um, yeah, so. I my first reaction was not as positive as I feel right now because at first they're like a little bit different. Um, the deck boxes have like windows on them, um, so my f first reaction was not necessarily like over the moon. But I immediately sleeved up a deck and just like put the playmat down on my desk and like started goldfishing a deck a few hours later. And 
Um, it's they have the the products have slowly replaced the stuff that I use when I travel to tournaments. Um, and again, that is that is my merely my own choices, and I'm right with you on. I'm a big snob about this stuff, right? I I'll, I'll change my sleeves immediately if I find anything wrong with them, and I really yep. appreciate like again. I think satisfying is really the word I would use. The magnets at first to me fe- felt a little bit gimmicky, like oh my deck box can magnet to my um, play mat. Like why do I need that? Um, but I don't know. There's just kind of something about it, I, and I, I can't really explain it. Of just like I sit down, I do it. I just I, I kind of like it. Um, it's, so it's opt in though too. You know, it's yeah. like if you don't like the magnet, if you don't like the placement of it or whatever, it's like, okay, just don't use it. Yeah. Um, and it, a dice tray, which I've never used before, but the fact that it just kind of like sticks to my deck box and I can bring it with me or not. And if I don't want to bring it, I don't have to. Is like pretty convenient and I, I quite like it. Um, yeah, so I'm buying this stuff for sure. Um, I think there's a few improvements and changes that could, could get made to some of it. But um, on the whole, I, I really have enjoyed using it and I'm going to continue to. So a couple things. One, you mentioned the windows on the deck box. I also brought that up. And here's the thing is like, Randy seems very, very uh, motivated by feedback. Like he just wants to make a good product. He is a gamer himself, right? And so the the window thing, he was looking at it like, oh, you know, if you have, say, like your commander decks, for example, and you put your commander in front, you know what is in the deck without having to open it, which is good for that group of players. For us playing in tournaments, not ideal. And uh, my my friend Austin mentioned that one of his opponents like pulled out their deck with with the heavy play deck box and was like shuffling. And the way they set their deck box down, Austin could see like the front card of their sideboard. So it's just like, yeah, play around it if you do have one of the ones with the windows. But I was like, you know, if, if you want to do something for competitive people, like maybe take out the window, right? Yeah, I don't know. The window, to be honest, my, that was my first reaction. Um, the window's no, grown same. on me. The window's grown on me a little bit. Um, I have a silly number of decks and at home I can never remember which one's in which deck box, which is just this like constant repetitive. I have to open six deck boxes to find the one thing I'm looking for. And when I go to tournaments, I've like developed this habit of always facing my cards in so that when I'm pulling my deck out, I don't accidentally reveal anything. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually kind of buying the window at this point, but I do think giving people the option or the choice to have it or not is a good idea. Also, in terms of feedback, I... I really like this because this is just off rip that I was able to make this suggestion. And I think he's going to go with it is he wanted to do like a little insert in, in every deck box. And initially it was just like, you know, what should this be like a, a little life pad kind of thing, just like a thing with some branding, the logo on it, whatever. And then for whatever reason, my mind immediately jumped to the little sideboarding matrix matrices, like the sideboarding guides. I'm sure you've seen them like on Twitter, right? Where it's like on the left, you have like your deck and your sideboard cards. And then on the top, you have the matchup spread of the decks that exist in the format. And then you just write in your ins and outs on like this little note card kind of thing. Yeah. And it it looks great. I kind of love this thing too. Yeah. And he just immediately started making mock-ups and like sending it back to me, asking me for feedback and stuff. So uh, I think that aspect is just really cool too. But uh, before we go too too much further, heavyplay.com. Uh, if you want to go check out the website, website looks really nice. Uh, I don't feel like we can d- 
do the products justice just by like talking about them. But like you go on the website and immediately they're playing like these little product demonstration things on it that look really nice, really clean. And so you can kind of see what we're talking about. And uh, I'll certainly be posting links to their socials and everything on Twitter, also posting images and whatnot. But if you want to follow them on something like Twitter, have you play LLC basically everywhere from what I understand. And then also, if you want to buy some stuff, uh, use code G3RRYT, my name, uh, with a three in it, basically my Twitter handle. And you get 10% off. I would try it. That would be my advice. I like it. So in Atlanta, I got uh, a few things from them just to try it because I was like, hey, uh, I, I do like the look of the stuff, but I have to actually put it into practice, right? So I got a playmat, got deck box, uh, resleeved my deck and everything, sat down, played a few rounds, and every round I was getting questions. People were just like, yo, that looks really cool, especially the playmat. And the playmat is like this thing that is pretty hard, but folds up. And I was initially very skeptical of this, but it's just a really good feel to play on too. It's different. And and for the 80s and 90s kids out there, it reminded me of a Trapper Keeper. Yeah. No, you remember those from like elementary school? And dude, I, I guarantee I played Magic on one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it folds up really nice. And then I, I agree with you. It um My reaction to that initially was like, oh, I like my playmat already. Um, but um, yeah, I've been using it and I haven't gone back. I feel like it's going to stay cleaner too. I think so too. Uh, I, I will note that... It, like it, it does fit in like a laptop sleeve, but it doesn't fit in like the smallest laptop sleeves, right? So if you have something, I think it's like a 15 inch uh, like right. laptop bag, then it's going to fit fine. Um, but for me in Atlanta, I had my laptop with me I and I packed super light. So I couldn't actually take the playmat home. So I gave that to a buddy of mine, which is why you have one for me now. But I, I want that playmat. I'm going to get it hard for this weekend. I'm going to be using it if I play at all. If I remember to bring it, bro, you can't, you can't do this to me. <laughs> I want my playmat. Uh, yeah. Last thing is their sleeves, which are weird. Uh, so the rest of their stuff, it's like, oh, like the, it seems like they have done like some innovation. They care, whatever. What can you do to improve sleeves? This kind of blew my mind. Their sleeves have rounded corners uh, on on like the bottom end on the sealed end, which my monkey brain just immediately went like, there's no way that works, right? And then I just start, you know, doing a little side-to-side shuffle with them. It does work. It actually works really well. And the reason for the rounded sleeves is, well, now you're probably not going to have like bent corners like you would with uh, rectangles. But also the, the lining of a lot of deck boxes has like a little bit of felt or something, you know, like some amount of friction that the corners of normal sleeves can catch on, whereas the rounded sleeves do not. Yeah, this didn't make any sense to me either on at first glance, but um, they shuffle like butter. And I get it. I think it's, I think there's a different right sleeve for everybody depending on the way you shuffle. Yes, right. I, so I definitely agree with that too. That I I, I want to say that sleeves are one of the things I don't think there's a perfect answer for everyone. Um, but. If you shuffle, you know, mashing hand over hand, these are incredibly satisfying and um, they do not bend. The corners don't bend, obviously, so they, they feel great. And I've only used them for two tournaments now, so the, and they've lasted me that long, which is 
probably about close to the max that other sleeves have lasted me in general, just because I tend to shuffle pretty aggressively. But um, yeah, I'm buying these as well. And they also have inners uh, also with rounded corners. And yeah. the, the, the thing with this is like, oh, why, why hasn't anyone else done that? And I, I think that there are two reasons, one of which is maybe bigger than the other, but one is that like there, there isn't a whole lot of reason to innovate in the space, right? Like for a very, very long time, Ultra Pro was like the only game in town. And, and now there are like these, these other companies that are popping up and everything. But for the most part, it's just like, oh, let's just do basically the same thing, but like make ours a little sturdier or make ours like a little slicker or whatever. And I don't, I don't think that there has been that much of like an urge to actually try and work on this and like try and solve some of these problems. And it's very interesting to me. But like the other thing is that like it's, it's, it's expensive to do it more or to do it this way. It's, it's harder to like custom make a thing with a rounded corner versus like just a rectangle, you know? Yeah. And it's not easy to do and it's more expensive, which, you know, means that you have to be getting something out of it for it to be worth it. And again, first glance, still early on impressions, but I'm, I'm buying these as well. Yeah. So I, I, I like their stuff. Uh, I, I know that, I, I had some feedback on like the sleeves and the deck boxes and then other stuff that uh, Randy was talking about working on in terms of like, you know, longer deck boxes or like boxes that can hold like multiple deck boxes, that kind of thing. And then he had like a prototype of uh, one of the play mats with like some art on it that looked awesome and, and stuff like that. So I think that the, their stuff is only going to get better. And uh, also, if you've been going to any of these events like SCG cons, the RCs, whatever, like they've they've been at a bunch of them. Uh, I know that they're going to be in Denver. They're going to be at MagicCon Chicago. Uh, I I believe PAX East as well. And uh, it's it's going to be hard to not notice that this brand is around because you and I have both had this, the same kind of experience where it's just like basically since Atlanta, we have just noticed it more and more like a a couple people, every tournament more and more have their stuff. And I think that that is awesome. And people seem to really be liking it. Yeah. Get on board. So again, heavyplay.com code G three R R Y T 10% off. That's awesome. And you can look forward to uh, probably like, you know, a little bit of a shorter ad read in, in the next few weeks or whatever, but we, we, we won't take on the ad if we didn't like their stuff straight up. Yeah. And we'll be able to share more experiences as we try them out more. So also true. Hartford this weekend, modern two 10 Ks. Uh, dude, modern's weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. How is it that everything seems so normal? And then one thing happens in a week and now my brain is just completely fried. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that exact reaction. I, I woke up Saturday morning incredibly early and woke up to feed the baby at like 5 a.m. And I like am like half asleep, half out of it. And then I realized the European RC had started and then 
the deck lists were going to be up on Melee. So I finished feeding the baby and like jumped up and like ran to my computer to quickly look at the deck list, just like very excited to see what people had done and like quickly start like searching for like named players and like scrolling through the early rounds to see what was like doing well. And I was incredibly disappointed at first because like it seemed like everyone was just doing normal stuff. The same four or five decks, the same metagame that we predicted. Um, so I was like kind of disappointed and like demotivated about like practicing for Hartford this weekend and then Denver the weekend after are both modern tournaments. And I was like, all right, well, this is boring and lame and motivation <laughs> was low. And then 48 hours later, it couldn't be any more different. Is it a good thing, though? Uh, so we have yet to figure that out. But uh, there were a couple different decks utilizing the same card that did well the last week one of them got a uh, second in a challenge i believe they split because i think it was displayed as like a 1-0 win in the finals or whatever but uh there's this red green tarmogoyf ragavan seismic assault deck that split the finals of a challenge yeah, i think he split the finals and i think they top aided the the uh, the challenge the other day that weekend oh no, no this, this is karate dom this is another oh. this is this is the jund one Got it. Okay. I'm jumping uh, the gun. And Dom got third and sixth with Jund. Got and it. And then also hiding out in the top 16 of one of these challenges was uh, CFT SOC3, who we mentioned like last week or the week before with the Slogurk Relic of Legends nonsense in standard, also cooking with Seismic Assault Loam, but this time, dude, in creativity. And I saw that and I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh so here's the thing. If you look at the uh winningest decks in modern, Scam, Rhinos, Yog, Merktide, Amulet, uh all of those decks are pretty soft to seismic assault life from the loam. And then the decks that I think it's less good against are maybe like Living End, Burn, Tron, Coffers. But out of a deck like Creativity, I think having this thing that allows you to like two-turn kill someone like Tron, especially when Tron's actual clock is not that fast, and like you could just kind of sit there like loaming, accumulating lands, and then play the Seismic Assault so it doesn't die to like an O-Stone or something. And I feel like that's a completely reasonable route to victory. And most of the same can be said for coffers, uh, except you still have to kind of like fade Sundering Titan, at least for a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think it lines up well like that. The, the part that jumped out at me almost immediately was it gives you an angle to win a game against like specifically out of the creativity deck with you fetch a forest and now... Assault plus Loam lets you kill somebody through Blood Moon. True. Which was like one of the biggest weaknesses and struggles that I had was like there weren't a lot of ways to attack a Blood Moon that made any sense. There weren't a lot of ways to move around it. There weren't a lot of reliable ways to kill it without doing really weird things. People have been playing like abundant growth and like spitting out treasures and all this nonsense and things that were just like not good. So yeah, Fable, Fable is good. Right. Fable is good, but it's already the best card in the deck, and that's already like kind of you need something more than that. So this gives you kind of like yeah. another angle of attack, which I really like. Agreed. And 
before we were doing like basic planes and celestial purges and uh like march of otherworldly lights and and a pretty expensive ley line binding you know but like those are pretty cope answers i do think that the move to like magus of the moon in a lot of these spots basically because again stuff like amulet it it's harder to kill a Magus than it is to kill a Blood Moon, given how much, like, Besaidus and ability to, like, search up lands and stuff they have, but, like, that that is good for creativity, but still, like, now you have an out to Blood Moon, you have an out to Magus of the Moon, like, more outs to Magus, so I, I think it is just really, really good. Yeah, trend in the right direction, for sure. And it's it's super interesting now because it's like, well, do you just do the normal, like, five color stuff and then just try and slot in like these seven cards but like i think you also need to play like 26 or 27 lands so it's more of like a 10 card package and how much more do you need to rely on things like ley line binding to remove hard to kill permanence and things like spell pierce to interact on the stack when now you have this seismic assault like two to three turn combo kill rolled up uh, so the first place my mind went was Jund. I, I think I followed you there. Yeah, and I'm I'm probably I'm I'll, I'll be a transparent. I'm, I think I'm five leagues in. I've played five different leagues with different iterations of Seismic Assault decks over the last forty eight hours, um, with varying degrees of success. Um, but I started with the CFT sock list, which is the full five color package still. I pivoted closer to the Junver list that you had, which allows us to do a lot of helpful things like I get to play two basic mountains and I only have to play one triome. And even though I'm putting these like additional tap lands in Forgotten Cave into my deck, I get to like, I don't have to deal myself as much damage with my mana base. So that's all very appealing stuff. Real um, real quick, the second mountain is good, right? Oh, it was good. Like um, that was one of those things that just, I, I, I start writing down the mana base and remembering like old assault loam decks that I played before and stuff like that. And just like my instinct is like play the second basic, even though nothing about creativity would, would tell you to do that or whatever. And I was just waiting for someone to like question it or bring it up. Yeah. I, like I was ready to defend it having played zero games. I, I think the bigger thing is that like we're swapping out other colored cards from our deck for red cards. And Loam is not actually a very color taxing card, right? So even though it costs a green mana, it's actually like really easy to cast because you can like cast the loam, get back a fetch land for your other colored mana or whatever. So the the big difference for me is like historically, if I had a mana base of creativity that had like a dwarven mine and a mountain in play on like turn four, let's say, like that was really taxing on my mana base. Whereas with this deck, I didn't mind having like a Jun Triome and then like two mountains. Like, and that was like, so like how punishing playing the mountain was, was far less, which is the reason that I enjoyed the second one quite a bit more. Um, it was probably my most sideboarded out card for whatever that's worth. Sure. I mean, like th- this is one of those decks that has like besieges in the board and like the forest in the board and stuff like that. So I, I totally yes. get that. 30 lands total, right? I, I was somewhere between 26 and 27 in the main deck and then always around three in the sideboard. So yeah. Um, you know, when you got 30 lands, you can do a lot of fun things with sideboarding them in and out. And I was cutting at least one mountain and sometimes two in a lot of matchups where 
I wanted all the Besejus and like dealing myself damage didn't really have any cost. Yeah, and matching Besejus is a reasonable plan against Tron. It helps against Amulet and Coffers. And now we're in kind of a spot where maybe Scam wants to leyline us because a Seismic Assault is such a huge problem. And then you have access to the Besejus and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And my experience was like, I was beaten up on Scam and Yogmoth like pretty good. And yeah. Like, my, my history, man, is I hate two toughness creatures, just like my <laughs> magic career. I have always been very, very good at, at beating up on creatures. So, like, a lightning bolt seismic assault deck in a format that is very weak to just like, you know, say you are able to make it so your opponent can't put a creature in play. It's really hard for anyone to beat you. Yeah. So this is yeah. right in my wheelhouse. And I was already thinking like Asmo looks pretty good for a lot of those reasons. Like Asmo, the card itself is very strong for a lot of the same reasons the seismic assault is. It's just Asmo's a three, three. She dies to almost everything. Yeah. Um, for whatever it's worth in my five leagues. So like, I don't know, 25 ish matches. Like, I didn't activate Seismic Assault nearly as much as I would have expected to, but like it puts such a weird tension and pressure on my opponents that like it certainly changed the dynamic of a lot of the games. Yeah, it, I, I imagine that unless you're under something like Leyline, that you do feel like you're just always drawing live, right? Always drawing live. It creates these weird dynamics of like holding lands and the such. Um, I told you this right before we jumped on, but I'm going to rant about it and rave about it as much more. The card that blew me away the most and that won me the most games by a mile was Forgotten Cave. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how good just like Renin 6 plus Forgotten Cave. And I just sit there and every turn I draw two cards. And that, like I won multiple games by just doing that. And like it didn't actually matter what happened after that because like my opponent wasn't putting pressure on me. And I just sat there and drew two a turn until I had way more resources than they did, and then they died. Yeah, and normally those games don't feel too bad because it means that you're going to have all the Dwarven Mines, uh, you're going to be making all your land drops, eventually draw an Archon or something, but getting something that converts to an actual card is massive. But I'm not sure, realistically, how much we can actually do that in, in say, like normal creativity because Forgotten Cave is not a mountain. Okay. And so, which is a mistake I made exactly once. Ah, but I did play Dwarven Mine on turn four one time with a cave in play, and it wasn't that I didn't realize it. I just like I didn't even like it didn't even cross my mind that one of my lands in play wasn't a mountain. Um, Yeah, that that was a fun experience. Yep. Uh, so you have the triumphs already, and that has definitely come up like a non-zero amount of times where I'm I end up like drawing a triumph late when I have a Ren and six and I'm just kind of flooded. My opponent's not really doing anything. I've killed all their stuff, you know? Uh, The the triumph is super slow and you usually want to fetch them. So like it doesn't happen all the time. Whereas Forgotten Cave is basically just like if you draw it, especially in your Dwarf in Mind deck, like unless you are specifically building up to Fable and you're light on lands, like you just want to cycle it every time, you know? So like it's going to be there. So I, I think if you're talking about like adding one to creativity as like the 25th land or something, I would maybe be fine with that. Uh, I'd be a lot happier with it as the 26th land, though. Yeah, it, for whatever it's worth for me, the slot it kind of like occupies is that like one or two preordains that you were always trying to sneak in the deck. Yeah, Forgotten Gate probably better. 
yeah, I think Forgotten Cave is better there. And, and it, I wasn't like, trying to sneak it in the deck. I think it's bad. I think Preordain's not very good. Well, I say sneak because like it was always in your deck list like 48 hours before the tournament, but never in your deck list. Yeah, I never made the final cut, but I was always like, you know, I should try one at some point, but I could just never do it because I was always like, nah, it's too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, that was always like the question mark, right? You just instead of putting a question mark, you would write Preordain. <laughs> Yes, it, it was just one something. It was like, uh, we, we know what the holdover is. Come on. Yeah, you know? eventually it's, Jerry will figure this out. It's like a split card. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but like, like you, you could play like Sheltered Thicket. You know, it's like a little bit cheaper or whatever, but uh, it's still not still not great. Yeah. Cycling for two. Yeah. The, so uh, just like a couple more thoughts quick on the Jund version and the, the whole likes of this. Like the other weird tension Forgotten came and the Triumphs had on me was like, Normally, just like fetching triumphs on the early turns was like not a big cost because like you had stuff to do for one mana in like bolt and binding if you needed to. But like if you didn't have to, you just fetch a triumph and you move on. But like having the forgotten caves in your deck makes like extra mana more valuable. So actually for the first time in playing this deck for a year and a half, a lot like found myself not searching out triumphs early in some games just so that I could cycle forgotten caves. Now you live Which, in my world. Now you which, live in my world. Which really, like, it was the first time where I was like, oh my gosh, like, the the Triumphs with the Bindings don't have... I, I used to... I think you overstate the cost that those had on the deck before all of this. And I'm now I'm kind of with you on, like, if we can somehow get the Triumphs down to two or even just one and get the, the color requirements on the deck less, like, we're going to be able to fetch Mountain, we're going to be able to fetch Shockland and cycle these, these lands early, which is going to be valuable because we're going to be able to return them later. Yep. Yeah, I, I think overall having less ETB tap lands in your, like, life from the loam, uh, especially if you are playing a bunch of cycling lands and trying to integrate that as an engine, like, you just want as few ETB tap lands as possible. Yep. And, yep. yeah, you just want to take, like, as little damage as possible. And then, yeah. do you need something like Leyline Binding? I'm not convinced that you do. I will say I missed it a lot. Like the matchups I missed it a lot was like I died to a really big Merc Tide, which was really annoying. And which you, is a card that like historically has not been a problem for me. You are the second person to bring that up. Uh, yeah. I, so my list had one Terminate. I It should probably be two. Um, the other the, the other matchup that I really missed it in was Amulet. Which is like, sure. it gives us a way to like interact reasonably and like, killing an amulet on turn two off two triumphs is usually a good way to give them a speed bump to get to a point where you can win. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that that's fair. Um, amulet's interesting because you can, you can overload on interaction for them and a bunch of hate, but like it still might not be good enough. You know? Yeah. Amulet's the matchup I'm the least sure about like where I actually land on. Like my record against it historically has been pretty good. I always win. I win a lot more than I lose, and I win by a little bit each time. But, like, I don't actually know if the, the matchup's very good still in all of that. And if you told me I was, like, going to play my winning in for a tournament against, like, a really good amulet player, I'm not sure that's something I would be happy about or not. I would certainly not be happy about it. Uh, I But I, I've also played against amulet lists that are far more hateful than the list that we see today, just like incidentally. Like if they have a bunch of things in the sideboard that's like Hydroid Crisis, Elish Norn, uh even even like Oblivion Stone sometimes would like kind of mess me up. Then yeah. I, I think it's a lot harder. But when 
they're doing stuff like maxing defense grid, playing as many answers to Megas of the Moon as possible, stuff like that, and they just really don't have many cards for you, then their scariest card is Cultivator Colossus. Because ideally, the way that we build our deck now, we just have so many disenchants in our sideboard. Like we just try and keep Amulet of Vigor off the table, right? And then at that point, Primeval Titan, Titan is not super threatening. Cultivator Colossus is like their one scary card, and that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah, usually the games go like post-board. I'm like praying that they play a Nurse's Saga on one of the early turns. Oh, yeah. Like, Just give me the time walk. Me. Yeah, the please. Time walk. Please, you uh, can have the four life. Last week, I brought up the new set. And a card that I sort of had my eye on, but did not really know like where I would actually need it or want it is a card called Pick Your Poison, which... I also found out is uh, one of the like mystery booster like MS Paint test cards. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what the card is. I don't know what this MS Paint thing you're describing is. So in mystery boosters, they they have like fake magic cards that were just like created and drawn by R and D members. Okay. Um, and one of them is called Pick Your Poison, and then they printed a card called Actual Pick Your Poison. Um, so I I mentioned this to my friend Evan. I was like, "Oh yeah, like th- this this card will help. Pick your poison will help." And he's like, "That that's not a real card, man." <laughs> uh, but anyway, new, new set. Uh, pick your poison. G sorcery. Choose one. Each opponent sacrifices an artifact. Each opponent sacrifices an enchantment. Each opponent sacrifices a creature with flying. Uh, this has got to be like the fifty seventh card they've printed. That's kind of like this. Sort of. So there's an instant that sees legacy play that is uh, opponent sacrifices a creature with flying because it kills Dark Depths. And there's stuff like Simplify where it's just like opponent sacks an enchantment or whatever. This is just all of it on yeah. one card. And it's really good. One mana. One mana. Uh, so this is a card that is going to for sure replace my nature's claims. It is almost certainly going to replace any Terra Sunder that I ever play. Like, this this tags the One Ring, tags opposing bindings, whatever, gets Saga, gets Amulet. I mean, ideally. Like, obviously they could have other things in play, but hopefully not. And then is also a card you can just bring in against Merktide. I kind of like it. I like it a lot. It goes a Merktide and a Blood Moon. I mean, yeah. you got to get the forest. So, like, the, the fact that we're also putting a forest in our sideboard associated with this, like, makes me very excited. Yeah. So, that that was always kind of the problem, right? It's like, oh, I, I can I can bring in, like, this Celestial Purge against Murktide for Blood Moon and use it to kill one of their one-drops, but, like, that's not very mana efficient, you know? And then you still have, like, the Murktide problems. You're bringing in this card that kills one of the problems, but not the other one. Uh, whereas Pick Your Poison does everything. The problem with this, I think, is if you're talking about like Blood Moon, potentially Leyline of the Void against Scam, Social Purge is much better there. Pick Your Poison is not great. You kind of just have to rely on Busaju, I think. Yeah, the Purge was specifically when Scam was great. And that was always the weird tension is that our Blood Moon answer only works against half the Blood Moon decks. Yeah, but if they're playing Magus, we need to bolt that guy. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all good. Uh, yeah, pick your poison. Very nice. Also, in terms of the Jund list, uh, mentioned uh, playing the blue red, uh, island mountain, surveil land. 
as instead of the second Steam Vents. I think the John one would play the red black one instead of the second Blood Crypt. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The second stopping ground came up for me a few times. And I, can, I can see that, especially post board games. Yeah, like I think having it in your deck, like it, I, I fetched the second stopping ground more than more than I expected to. Fair. Um, I think the list you sent me had two stomping ground. I'm not positive. Now yeah, I, I had two, 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 one triumph. Yeah. And then the CFT sock list that still had bindings and still five color also had two stomping ground. And I also fetched it playing a version of that. Um, and then the, the list I've been playing right now, the, the most recent league was basically smushing those two decks together where um, I took the thought seizes and like the more red cardy list that you had. And then I just put bindings and silences in it. Um, and silence is a card we still go back and forth on against like it's, it's really good against Living End. It's not as great against uh, Rhinos as it should be. Um, but it's still something. Yeah. Oh, no. You want to hear some bad news? Tell me. I decided to go look for uh, CFT's list. And I think the easiest way to do that is by searching their name on Goldfish. Okay. And... Uh, they played two events yesterday. One with scam, one with like blue red breach. Does that mean they're off it? Does that mean that assault loam creativity is not good? So I would never read too far. I don't know CFT sock personally or anything like that, but I've been a, a a fan from afar for a while. Like they're always playing nonsense and they move around faster than I can keep up with. So so I wouldn't read too much into any of it. Well. Before that, their last five modern events were with the Assault Loam deck. Well, sure. Maybe five events is just the max they're ever going to play any deck. Maybe. Um, and like, listen, there's something here. This deck's good. I don't know that it's great. I don't know for sure that it's exactly what I would recommend playing. But there's definitely like enough good and different things going on here that there's like a lot to be explored. I definitely agree with that. And I think that either way, Assault Loam is very interesting in modern right now it is very appealing and whoever figures out the best way to do it is probably going to have a pretty good time and uh we mentioned like the red green tarmogoyf one and like the jund one and stuff and i also have a red green list that i kind of like that i sort of want to talk about but like i don't know how interested you are <laughs> in, wait are we valley cutting no, I said to use the Tarmogoyf one. Oh, sure. Yeah, that one, I don't know that I'm very interested in that. Oh, uh, okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Pull up that list. Can you? And, yeah, I have it right here. And like, for whatever it's worth, when I say that, this is a deck that I would absolutely love for it to be good. I just, it's not something I'm buying as much as some of these other things. Well, cost is excited. Yeah, I, I'm excited too. It's just like, I think we're both, we're all living 10 years ago. Okay. So uh, real quick, do you own two Firelit tickets? No. Damn. Do you think Matt does? Why? Is that a hard card to get? Well, Star City was sold out. It was the only card I couldn't get. And I kind of need them. If I'm oh, this play. is the this is like what we have like queued up. I, I'm I'm just trying to cover my bases. Got it. Um, I am at this point I am more likely to not play than to play this, but we will see. Anyway. You play, Jerry. I, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, but you got it. I certainly do not. Anyway, uh, the the red-green list that got second was like three Ragavan, 
for Tarmogoy, for Fable, to Inti. And kind of like classic aggro loam stuff uh, for Utopia Sprawls, for Urza Saga. Urza Saga, Seismic Assault, kind of weird. Yeah, it makes sense with like the Renin 6 package, which like, so it doesn't shock me, like taking the old like Renin 6 Jun Saga Van deck and then trying to put this in it. So I assume how they got there. Listen, is Urza Saga a combo with Renin 6? Be honest. Um, I would say probably not. <laughs> but when when do you want to play either of those cards? <laughs> I mean, like there On are games. Two. There are games that go very long that are very broken where like that combination of things ends up being something that's reasonable. Yes. And I I also understand that like, well, if you have a Renin 6 and you have a Saga in your hand, uh, you have the choice probably of which one you want to play on that turn, you know? Yeah. Good for you. Uh, but to me, it's just like, I, I can certainly play them both in the same deck. I don't know that I would max both of them. Uh, and I don't know that I would refer to it as a combo. Sure. <laughs> that That's is all, all fair. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I put something like this together, uh, looked at it, uh, looked at, dude, I looked at all the seismic assault decks in modern since 2020. And wait, how big is that list? You make it sound like it's very big, but my instinct would have been, there's not a ton. It was like three pages. So here's the thing is that there was a lot of slow gherkin going on. Okay. So when that card came out, people people got some big ideas. And they started brewing. And it was way more than one person who got pretty excited about it. Now, slow gherk out of the deck. Don't need it. Honestly, probably never did. Uh, and then, there, you know, there's some other random stuff too, right? Uh, like, for, for example, I, I am a person who owns four seismic assault. I just do because I like the card. I've played it before, you know? To good I imagine success, I'm not the too. only one. What did you say? I said to good success. Yeah, I did. I did win a PTQ with it. I think it was like a 220 person PTQ too. So it, it was it was 180. Okay. Uh, counterbalance was the best deck. And when you are trying to cast life from the loam against a counterbalance deck and the vast majority of their cards cost two mana. And not ideal. Is very difficult. Uh, thankfully, Michael Jacob got absolutely dumpstered in top four by fairies, and I got to play against fairies in the finals. Got him. Most great. of the fairies died of seismic assault. Yeah, from yeah, my experience, do. the fairies players died of seismic assault too. It's yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. And I, the other thing I want to just add on seismic assault quickly here, from like those like you know 2010 or just before like 2007 eras, there was like a few different times in extended where I remember like seismic assault decks rare randomly popping up. And going from like not being played at all to being the best deck in the format like overnight. Right. And it it just has to do with like, oh, this is this is a card that just like locks people out of the game. Yeah. When it lines up well, historically, this is a card that has dominated formats. Like you you can think about something like Lantern Control and Ensnaring Bridge. Seismic Assault does the same stuff. You know? Assuming that like you're not getting burned out or getting comboed out, stuff like that. And it also has the side benefit of of being like a two or three turn kill. Yeah. So this is where like on paper, I kind of love the creativity angle. Surprise. Because like it puts this tension on the game of like, I have this engine, seismic assault life from the loam that is going to kill you. So it forces your opponent to do something more proactive. It forces them to tap out on their turn. 
Yeah. It forces them to do something. When they do, I untap, I go get a dwarf and I put Archon in play. Yep. What's up? Right. So I, I think that dynamic, and again, that only that dynamic only exists and works in like some of the matchups, right? Um, half the decks can still interact without having any mana up, which is nonsense and silly. So like it's not always applicable, but I think that on paper at least makes a ton of sense to me for why these two things fit well together. Yeah. Oh, actually, I wanted to check this too. Two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen. Okay, so this this red green deck has four Utopia Sprawls and fourteen ways to cast it. Uh, fourteen effective like turn one forests, right? That's not bad. That's like trending towards the lower end at least if you had eight of them uh like the i remember doing the math on like four birds four lanor elves type of decks right and when i was going around like looking at these decks like this red green deck has like one forgotten cave i was just like that's not acceptable uh i want at least three of these uh they play 23 land i want more land uh Four Ren and Six, three Life from the Loam is a lot of a somewhat redundant effect, especially if you're playing like four Saga, and I don't necessarily think you can realistically cast Ren on turn two every game. So I feel like, you know, maybe shave a Ren or whatever. Only five spot removal spells is not a lot. Uh, Seismic Assault does cover you against a lot of that, as does Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf is effectively a creature removal spell in a lot of instances. And Ren 2, for whatever that's worth, not great, yeah. but like, you know, counts as some number of like answers to Ragavan, right? No, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. So uh, I, I still feel like it's a little bit light on removal. Uh, also, there's stuff like, I don't know, four Lightning Bolt, one Flame Slash. In a vacuum, that's probably correct, but not in a world where Rhinos is the best deck. And like we did just have the LEC in uh, Ghent last weekend where Rhinos won. Uh, also posted like a very good win percentage, 53% against the field out of, was this over a thousand matches? 13 matches? A lot matches, of matches. 14 hour matches? Yeah. I gotta, trying to zoom and then, in, it's just getting smaller. Yeah. And then the other big thing for Rhinos is that like the other big winner from that event was Yogmoth. And Rhinos ended up winning the tournament on the back of like beating up Yogmoth in the whole top eight. Yeah. So like, both, I think the two biggest winning decks from that tournament were Rhinos and Yogmoth, and the fact that Rhinos has the appears to have the edge in that matchup makes it like I think the clear winner. Yeah, so ideally, I would like my removal spells to be able to kill a Rhino. Like you, you kill one, Tarmogoyf can maybe hold off the other or whatever, or at least like trade with it and a burn spell. I think that's fine too. So like there are already like a lot of things that I wanted to to change to kind of like noodle with in in this list and. I also don't think that you're necessarily locked into just playing for Urza Saga. You know, like you could you could play two. I think that that's fine. Yeah, it seems like a card that not enough people have played a smaller number than four of. Yeah, not really. Did you ever do like three main, one in the board in Legacy or anything like that? No. No, nah, you, you were you were too much of a Saga lover, I think. I was obsessed with Saga and Legacy, and for whatever it's worth, it was also like I was playing like very limited win conditions. Saga was like basically my only win con. Fair, yeah. So like, I think I had like a couple of Merc Tides, but yeah, I was killing people with that card, man. Um, so yeah. my deck had a lot of air in it past that, but like, you know, I know that like Tron has played one or two Sagas here and there, but like, I think 
both Saga and Ren are probably cards that, outside of that Tron example, that have shown up way too much in fours and zeros. So the list I sent you for creativity had three Ren, three loan, right? No, it was four, three, but oh, sure. Damn. But I was I'm, I was almost there with you, and like uh, I was siding out one loan most of the time. I think that's fine with like a reasonable expectation that they're going to have some amount of graveyard hate. Yeah, and like the the mere threat of the loam package was like a lot of the appeal for me. I think I told you like I I killed people with loam assault like very almost none, but the it existing in my deck won me a whole bunch of games. Okay, so I eventually arrived at a red green list. Uh, where I have eight spot removal spells, only one of which is Lightning Bolt. I have four Unholy Heat, a Flame Slash, two Dead Gone. And to enable those Unholy Heats, like the deck has a bunch of like enchantments and like some artifacts and and whatnot. Like you have random stuff. It's just like if you're casting Tarmogoyf on turn two, how big is it realistically going to be, you know? Uh, and same same goes for Unholy Heat, you know? It's like, over time, like turn four, turn five, you start dredging life from the loam. Like you're going to have delirium. Your Tarmogoyf is going to be big. But in the early turns where maybe you need a big unholy heat or a bigger Tarmogoyf to like dodge their lightning bolt, is it's kind of hard to have delirium that early. So I have a couple Mishra's Bobbles in there too, which is kind of weird because like I'm playing a bunch of lands and I have a lot of air in my deck. So it's not really ideal, but I do think that it is fine. It is passable. And the thing I do like about Saga in this type of deck is that if you are just dredging Loam over and over and over again, eventually you want a way to be able to Loam into something that, like, kills your opponent or, like, mill over something that will help kill your opponent. And, like, Urza Saga definitely does that, right? Um, In the olden days, we played, like, eight cycling lands. We would just Life from the Loam Ancestral Recall every turn and hope that we didn't just, like, mill over our seismic assaults and draw all lands, you know? Worked and most of the time. Most of the time. But, yeah, there were definitely games where it was like, uh, just milled over my last seismic assault, now I'm cold, but... Yeah, one of your early dredges hits two assaults, and you start getting nervous. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, I think a conflagrate is not bad. At least if you are planning on playing little bit of longer games because it's not hard to conflagrate for like 10. It's also a card that you could just hit at some point against scam and then use it for like three to five, something like that and wipe their board. And I think that would just give you like a ton of breathing room. And I, I don't mind it. If you naturally draw it, you have fable, the mirror breaker to sift it away. I also have a couple copies of season pyromancer I think Ragavan is a card that I would probably board out in most matchups. Like, I started doing a sideboarding mapping thing with three Ragavans in my deck, and it was just like, yep, don't want them here, don't want them here, don't want them here. And it's, I don't know, it's just really vulnerable, and, like, the games are going to go pretty long. And it's not necessarily a card I want in my deck. And then, I don't know, given how I wanted to build my deck with like all the forgotten caves and like firelit thicket to free roll, like basic forest into casting seismic assault. I actually didn't have that many things to play turn one utopia sprawl unless I've just played like 28 land. 
So how else do we accelerate? If we don't have Ragavan, we don't have Utopia Sprawl. Dave? I, you got me. I think I, I, like, have, I, think I, I have the answer. I think you're going to hate it. What is it? I think it's Gemstone Caverns. I mean, I don't hate Gemstone Caverns. I like that. I mean, I, I prefer winning the die roll, but... And I see what, that here. What, what, do you have two caverns main, one board? I do. But this is this is the thing with Gemstone. Is like, against Scam, we kind of hate Veil of Summer, right? Because, sure, it's good on the play, but it's not good on the draw. You love-hate. I would say love-hate. Yeah, but what if you have Gemstone Caverns? It gets a lot better. It gets a lot better. It's great. Suddenly, you're just always insulated, right? Yeah. It's unfortunate that Gemstone is an exile a card and not a discard a card. Yeah. I mean, it's marginal. I think that in a lot of instances, like, you can just exile a spell and and it's fine. Um, Yeah. Given how much redundancy we have in our deck, that's probably not a very painful thing to do. Yeah. And... Gemstone Cavern also allows you to like have Renin Six Dance or Regavan on the draw. Or like Termogoyf or something. Or like you can cycle a, a Forgotten Cave, untap, fetch, loan back a couple lands immediately. It's yeah. nice. I think it's really good. I agree. I, I mean the, the the caverns makes a lot of sense to me. I would be worried with a deck like this about like I like the fact of Ragavans keeping our opponents honest and kind of forcing them to keep in their cheap removal, even though I agree with you, it doesn't actually line up very well. I think it keeps them a little bit honest. And like having our creatures before Goyf to Pyromancer, like it really lets our opponents cheat on how they're interacting with those. I I see what you're saying, but like, I don't know, may, maybe this is like a very narrow window of people who like, know that there are Ragavan Seismic Assault decks that have done well, uh, but don't know, like, my list, especially, like, later in the tournament or something. Oh, sure. And, like, they're probably just going to leave their bolts in anyway. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. But uh, it's certainly not something you should bank on, right? Like, that's just an added bonus if it does happen. Yeah. And then I think the other big problem you have is, like, your closing speed's not super quick. So for the decks that just kind of like ignore you and go way over the top, like we don't actually have very strong ways to interact with them. So that's like your Trons and your Amulets. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be prepping for Seismic Assault as quickly as possible. Like yeah. start building to that versus doing whatever other nonsense that you could get up to. Yeah. And then, I mean, you, you have a good sideboard. Like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's interesting because I came to the conclusion that I don't think I want explosives in my deck for Rhinos. I think I just want Chalice and then lean on Tarmogoyf, Seismic Assault, Unholy Heat to, like, clean stuff up. Yeah, like, I could see, like, explosives being, like, a hedge if you were worried about, like, the other nonsense artifact decks, your hammers and your hardened scales. Dude, I got four Besaju's, seven Life from the Loams. Yeah, I don't think you are. I'm with you. You got a million spot. Yeah, I'm with you on I don't think you are. I'm more just, that's usually where my head jumps to on that whole dynamic. Yeah. Eight Lightning Bolts. Like, I I think I Explosives, I think, is like slightly worse versus them in general, but like has application in other matchups. So if that's something that you're in the market for, it makes sense. Yeah. And I, I don't think that Red Green in modern historically has ever been able to play like a, 
oh, here's my generic good card sideboard, right? It just, it has to all be hammers. Yeah. Like, would you bring in explosives against like Amulet as an example and just like play it for one? No. Like, yeah, I don't I, think I would. When when I played like Grixis Control, like JVP Grixis Control in Modern back in the day, I had explosives in my board and, and did not bring it in against them. It's like the same type of thing where it's like, yes, it does interact with their key thing, but at such a terrible rate that it's just not even worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's And like, you could convince me there are decks where they should end up in your deck post-board against them just because of how bad your other options are, but it's certainly not a place you ever want to be. Right. Uh, so the Gemstone Caverns thing got me thinking about Gemstone Caverns and creativity. Yeah, you're reading my mind of that card maybe is just underplayed and maybe misunderstood. And are there decks or matchups that should be playing that more? I, I think it is criminally underplayed. And like how many decks would play Chrome Mox if it was available to them? Obviously, this is pretty different and only works some of the time or whatever, right? And is is stuff like it's legendary, colorless land, whatever. But it it's is the, so powerful when it happens. It's the style of effect that every other version of this is banned in modern. Yes. Right? So it is one of the last remaining ways to like cheat on mana. Yep. And I so, guess it only works on the draw. And you know, I prefer to win the die roll and win my match 2 0. So, um, must be nice. But yeah, that's my preference. You know, I guess I'm still on the draw once there, but yeah, exactly. And then yeah. it's very easy to win 2 0 when you have gemstone caverns when you're on the draw. But like, I don't know. Like, my my problems with creativity are like it's it's a little bit slow, right? And then when you have turn two fable on the draw, like that's very palatable. That's the thing that you can just do against everyone, right? And then you're you're just cooking. You're off to the races. Yeah, I like it a lot more in these like other versions we've been playing more recently. And like the where like we're not trying to creativity on turn four as much. We're trying to like threaten this longer game. And like I was surprised at how like playing the forest or a Besaju or a forgotten cave early on which makes my dwarven minds not turn on until a turn later like hurt me less than i expected it to which makes me more interested in this yeah i'm i am very interested especially because of the veil of summer thing like that interaction again scam specifically where it's like oh well like now suddenly this card is is good again yeah for whatever it's worth of all the matchups of the top four or five decks that I'm worried about from the creativity side, Scam is, yeah. I, I'm beating the crap out of Scam, man. I, I know, but Gemstone Cavern in a deck like this is also probably your best card against stuff like Tron and Amulet too, which are yeah. your now, now we're now, now you got my attention, right? But the problem is like, Fable I think is already the best card in the deck. And so I want to be better in games where I don't draw Fable. And Gemstone doesn't actually let me cast a creativity quicker unless I also draw Fable. True. But it like it does allow you to do things like depending depending on your list. Like say we're playing a more normal version. It's like you get to fire off your expressive iterations and stuff like that while still holding interaction open. Oh, for, it, it's still powerful. Yeah. And objectively good. And I also think that, like, one of the things I think that's underrated in the creativity deck is just, like, how good Ren and Six Ultimate is. True. Like, it very often wins you the game. So, like, playing your Ren and Six on turn one instead of turn two and getting to ultimate a turn quicker is just, like, another win condition. Yeah, and you don't even have 
the luxury of being able to play it on turn two in a lot of instances too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking like turn one Ren and six is quite good because of the Ragavan thing. I was not even thinking like, oh, we just raced to alt. Yeah. You know? I mean, like between creativity and lightning bolt, like a lot of the time, some combination of those just kills them. I mean, I, I locked out an, an opponent with silence also. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. I've never done that. Yeah, it ruled. I just like ulted, played another Ren. I was just like, you're cold, right? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this reminds me of like Scepter Chant, basically. No, it was. I was Naya Scepter Chant somehow. Yeah, I kind of love it. Um, so for, for completionist's sake, the, the Jund version is weird. It has Bowmaster Shieldred, no Tarmogoyf. I actually think Tarmogoyf is pretty good at the moment uh, for a lot of the same reasons like Seismic Assault is. It just like holds off a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, you're blocking with it, not attacking, right? Yeah, but like, you know, you got to attack like Tron and stuff too. So you do have to kill them. Uh, yeah, but it, it's going to get up to four and five power pretty quickly in like a non-zero amount of matchups. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the Jun one has three delighted halflings, which is kind of weird because again, seismic assault, but uh, they're using it to cast two shieldred and four copies of the one ring. Uh, the one ring is a card I thought about playing in smaller numbers. Like, again, just kind of like looking at artifacts that were not terrible to like dredge into uh, to be able to enable delirium and bigger tarmogoyfs and stuff. And certainly wanted some amount of card advantage thing that didn't use the graveyard for like post-board games and like one ring is it's still good. Um, but I'm not sure I believe in Delighted Halfling Seismic Assault, especially when you could just play the Utopia Sprawls. Yeah, or Ignoble Hierarch too, right? Is like the other card I would guess is competing with that slot. Yeah, I mean like Bowmaster issues, right? Yeah. But yeah, this this deck is weird. I don't I don't really like this Jund one. They're they're four run and six two loam for seismic assault. I do I do feel like you kind of need three loams just to make your assaults good enough. Am I allowed to play less than four assault in any of these decks? Absolutely. That I was play- a card I was shaving and sideboarding in a good number of matchups too, but was never sure if it was correct. I I usually played three assault back in the day, unless it was like really really good. Yeah. So I, I could totally see that. I could see shaving any number of like this kind of package. Like if you want to play three Ren, you want to play like two to three Loam, you want to play three Assault. I think all of that makes sense. The the thing that I would caution against is like, what are you doing to your deck to include this sort of package that does end up being like a decent amount of air if you are not going to max on the payoff, which is the Seismic Assault. And that like, all makes sense. Yeah, you, you draw two loams and a ren, like, yo, that doesn't actually work, right? You drew the wrong combination of this 8-10 card package or whatever. Yeah, and then you, your mana base has, like, forgotten caves in it and stuff, and it's, it's just kind of a mess. Like, I pulled out a Molten Vortex because I was like, maybe I want a fifth crappy assault. Yeah. Yeah, the, some of the opening hands of these decks can be real stinkers, man. True. Especially when you have four Dwarven Mine, three Forgotten Cave in your deck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> dude, imagine adding like Gemstone Cavern to that mix too. Let's go. Yeah. Just, just turn one, turn zero Gemstone Cavern, then you play a tap land and say go. Yeah. Dude, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. turn, turn two Fable. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, that card, that's the Fable is the card for all of these decks that is the glue. No, absolutely. 
Um, and I, I think if there's one thing that would really like if I asked for a card to get printed in one of these next sets that like helped creativity or even some of these other assault decks we're talking about, like get over the top, it would be like another way to like proactively filter through cards the way creativity, the way uh, Fable does. And yeah, and also make a token. Yeah, it's proactive, right? So it, it's doing something that demands interaction or answers, and it also allows me to cycle through my deck. I can't take a turn off playing something like Bitter Reunion or whatever. I need to be doing something proactive. And the fact that it also allows me to like filter through some of the nonsense in my deck is like really important. Agreed. Uh, I posted my my two lists in in our Discord and whatnot if people are actually interested in them i'll probably also post them along with this podcast just so people have them if they want to look at them and laugh at me or whatever and seeing as how i'm going to do that i should also probably talk about how i have two magmatic insights in my deck yeah those didn't shock me for whatever that's worth i don't know why <laughs> uh well I, I dude i want to play one in the creativity deck too <laughs> well that might have shocked me a little more why i, I don't know i just not about, exactly the place i would have expected to see it talking about ways to filter through your deck man yeah when your, That's hand, true. when your hand is seven lands, what what better way to go about it? Uh, Magmatic Insight, just a, again, like working on the, the Tarmogoyf Delirium angle, like instant sorcery count, stuff like that. But also, I don't know, like you're, you're Loman, you have Renin Six, uh, it's a pretty cheap way to filter through stuff. Obviously, you run into issues where maybe you don't have a whole lot of extra lands to spare, you know, and then can't really cast the insight uh for yeah. a while at least but velocity is a word that comes to mind right velocity is uh is my favorite thing favorite thing in magic yeah but like there were like it reminds me of like some of these awkward situations i have where like i have a loan in my graveyard and we're kind of in like a top deck war on like one of these middling turns and like forgotten cave is the best draw in my deck so it's like do i dredge my loam yes I mean, it gives me three looks at it instead of one, but like the second and third and fourth best draws in my deck are all spells. Yeah. So like, you know, just like things that put cards in your graveyard that just like allow you to see more cards and give you more things to do with just like make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could look at Magmatic Insight and be like, is this better than like another Tranquil Thicket? And I, I do think it is because of the Tarmogoyf Delirium numbers. Uh, but it is certainly one of those cards where you're talking about like shaving an assault, shaving a loam in the face of potential graveyard hate, like Magmatic Insight also has to go at that point. So I don't know that I will keep it at two copies, but uh, for like gold fishing purposes and seeing how well it did, I wanted to start with two. Yeah. And, and all, all these dynamics are reasons why like Persist was a direction we jumped to quickly, but then moved away from. Right. Because in practice... It just doesn't come together all that often. So yep, and you like doing? don't Fable's already the best card in your deck, so we don't want to tax that more. So like, and already doing more graveyard things is like we're already going to be hitting that 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 part of the hate. And Goyf, if if there wanted to be a knock against it, it might it might be that right of like graveyard hate's already very good, a lot better against you now. So having your threat also struggle with that can be problematic. Well, they have a graveyard too, you know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and if, if if it's if it's black ley line for sure. Yeah. Well, I doubt you're going to get hit with rest in peace right yeah and like tron might have relics so i'm trying to think of like what other graveyard hate we've been seeing yeah like relic you can rebuild from hopefully yep. ideally yeah so probably maybe a moot point uh but no, it is it is definitely notable i mean i i certainly do not want to lean into more graveyard stuff when i have like a loam seismic assault package uh 
But that said, I did think that there was like a lot of potential synergy in creativity to maybe bring back the persist stuff because like now the bitter reunions look really good if you just have excess cardboard in your hand. And you could also just do things like cast loam, drop to eight, discard the Archon. Yeah. And I tried, I, I had a, a version I didn't play any games with where I was just trying to make it all fit and I was 58 cards and just like my brain hurt and I just moved on. Yeah. So um, there, yeah, there's that issue. There's the issue of like Persist and Archon are just more air in a lot of instances. You already have a ton of that going on and it's more graveyard hate related stuff. So yeah, I, you need to get the fourth Archon in there at that point. Like yeah. you got to play, like for whatever it's worth too. Like I think the bitter reunions would be good just like, as ways to make your loam and your ren do stuff when you don't have the cycle lands or other things going. Bro, that's magmatic insight. Yeah, that's magmatic insight. So maybe that's the answer. It's just, it's hard to fit it all. It is. Uh, if we wanted to do, uh, like if, if Yorion was still legal, you know, you wanted to do something like that. It's like, well, okay. So in all seriousness, like we're now talking about a deck that I could actually see playing like 65, 68, 70 cards because like, all the four of in the deck are cards I've considered playing less than four of, with one exception, which is Fable. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's very true. I certainly don't want to play Dwarven Mine, four Dwarven Mine, but I do want four in the deck to fetch, you know? I'm proud of you. What? The first, like, four weeks we were playing Creativity together, you you tried cutting the fourth Dwarven Mine, like, every week, and e- you've never e- done it since. Every day. No, I, I still try, but... It's it's yeah. the the opposite of the one preordained. It's like the preordained is like no, this is too bad, and then the door of mine is like no, I need it. Yeah, I fetch the fourth one way too much, and I would play five if I could. Um, I uh, I don't know that I would play five. I would like to have access to the fifth. I don't know that I would ever play a fifth. <laughs> yeah, one. fair. fair. The other card that you've come around quite a bit on for me is Terrace Under. If if we're at like seventy cards, I could see the fifth door of mine. Okay. Okay. Uh, Terrace Under is. Unnecessary evil until Picker Poison is legal. Yeah, I was going to say the ship might have sailed on that one with Picker Poison now. But, yep. dude, I love one man answers to things. And this answers a lot of things. Yeah, it does. Answers all the stuff you care about. It is very pushed. Like, Amulet against Amulet specifically is the only place I'm cringing a little bit because of, I think instant versus sorcery against them matters a lot. But it does. But also one mana versus two matters a lot also. Does matter a lot. Yep. And like they're going to get their card every time. And yeah, so there's there's upside and downside. But uh, I, my instinct is like we're going to end up with all the pick your poisons and none of the other stuff. Ooh, back to gemstone caverns real quick. You you lucky in the caverns, you play a saga on turn one. Yeah. Now we're it's, playing like legacy vintage style. Crap. Dude, it's, it's just good shit all around. Yeah. It, it is a lot of nonsense. I feel like Amulet should just have some gemstone caverns. Yeah. I know they occasionally play like the one or whatever, but it just, it seems legit good, especially if you have like a a card like the one ring to just like recoup all the stuff. I feel like all the decks that don't have a million one mana things should be considering this. Yeah. I think so too, man. I, I, I just think it is a busted card. It is, uh, like $45. I just purchased three of them. I am in physical pain, but it'll be okay. Yeah. Especially the third one. Like the first two you'll probably use are non-zero amount. I I had one, I had two in my cart. And then after tinkering for a little bit, I was very dejected when I added the third. I was not happy about it. Yeah. It's like the fourth shielded that I bought, right? Yeah. It's like $70. I've used it once. Yeah. Does not feel good. No. How's how's how good is Shieldred right now? I think it's 
like a card that I will probably never play in modern unless I'm like playing Yogg and courting for it out of the sideboard or something. Uh, or I don't know, maybe if I'm playing like blue, black one ring or something, but I don't know why I would do that. And then yeah, I don't know. in standard, I just don't want it at all. Yeah. I'm. It's weird. Uh, we, we're not going to dive into standard, but like I actually kind of like it in some decks in standard right now where you're like really taxing their go for the throats. So I think a lot of decks don't have enough answers to these things, but you have to like build your deck around doing that stuff. I do agree with that, but I, I also kind of worry that Shieldred is not even like the optimal threat in those scenarios. Not that there is necessarily even like a better one and Shieldred does kill pretty quickly. But you know what I mean? It's just like, all right, say I know my Esper opponent doesn't have a removal spell. Do I even want to play the Shieldred? Like, is that... Yeah, is it even good enough? Yeah, is it going to help me if they have, like, wedding announcement and, like, all this stuff going on? You know, I feel like you probably just get swarmed out. Yeah, I like how good it is against other all the other black mid-range decks when they have Schooner, Gix, other things. They're drawing extra cards already, right? So it's like, they're not just drawing one card a turn. Yeah, and in red black, it looks like is solidly in the Blood Tithe Harvester Deep Cavern Bat camp now. Yeah, yeah. I played red black again in standard. I might be. I'm excited for standard to change, but I just like one last thought on this. It's like I might have been the last person on the planet to figure out, but like I, I hate all the red cards. <laughs> I played two different red black decks two weeks in a row, and I love all the black mid range cards, and yep. I just like. No matter what, I put wildly different red cards in my deck two weeks in a row, and they were all the worst cards in my deck both times. Yeah, I mean, uh, Doomwake posted a, a list that was black cards except for like Inti and Blood Tithe Harvester, and I was like, well, if if that's the case, is red what we're supposed to be doing? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like we should be playing something else. Yeah, and like the last one I played had Appraiser and the Dinosaur, and Blood Tithe Harvester. And I thought Blood Tithe Harvester was the weakest of the three, and in practice, it was the opposite. Yep. No, card always overperforms. It just does so much. Yeah, and the other cards just massively underperformed. Well, that's that's a damn shame. Uh, I I expect about as much from the, the Carnosaur, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. Appraiser seems good to me. I know that there are specifically like game one considerations where it's just like oh i run into like a cut down or something on like a dry board and this sucks you know but for impact potential impact i do think it's it's up there with the four drops yeah it it never it it disappointed quite a bit and in practice and on paper i think it, it makes a lot more sense than in the games i played and in the games i was playing with the deck i still really wanted to play cruelty which is kind of how i got here I was like playing a bunch against ramp and like doing better than I expected. And I like just assumed I was going to be good against the other mid range decks. Cause on paper, I think that makes sense. And in practice, my experience was very different. Check this out though. What if you appraiser into Obnixilis and then sack the appraiser? That might be the best appraiser you could get. Right. Can I rant for a second on appraiser too? Just it says if you cast it and the dino says when it comes into play. Yeah. And the fact that they both don't trigger the same way is one of the most illogical things to me. Appraiser has that text because of blink effects, I believe is what Carmen said on Twitter. Yeah. I would buy that. I just, the design cost of that is just brutal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that at that point, just roll it into the mechanic. 
especially well, when the carnosaur can be reanimated, which like maybe is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, know? I think it's a feature. So maybe it's like we shouldn't even print appraiser. I don't know. I'm just I find it confusing and frustrating. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Like there, there's no reason that trigger for like a mechanic keyword should function differently on different cards. Yeah. Uh, but I, I certainly get their concern if they're like, well, we don't want people blinking this. Like, OK, good call. I, I probably don't want that either. Uh, if at some point there was like good blink stuff, right? Yeah. So the, the, the turn where I figured this out, I was just playing games on Arena and I put an appraiser back into play off of Cruelty. Yeah. And then I Googled Arena Bug. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it took me, you know, a good 30 seconds to figure out what was happening. And, yeah. Uh, step step one should usually just be read your card. I, so I did quickly. I just read it so quickly. And I just, I just assumed because, you know, doing that to the dino is just something I've done a hundred times. And it just never once crossed my mind that it could possibly be different. Yeah. You're just like, I built my deck around this. Everyone yeah. builds their deck around this. Yeah. So that was a fun, that was a fun little 60 second monologue in my own brain. And then how'd you feel at the end of that? Um, old. Slow. Confused. Yeah. Like I should have been playing blue cards the whole time. Yeah. Dude, those are easy. Blue cards are so easy. Yeah. But I'm excited for the new set with standard and I'm excited. We have two modern the next two weeks in a row and then we get to dive into standard with the new set which is there's just a lot of fun stuff going on yeah i do like that uh so one last thing with seismic assault is there anywhere else that we can put put this card i mean i think putting it with creativity is not a place i would have gotten to on my own and makes a lot of sense i think historically it's always gone in red green mid-range beat down decks um, there's also some swans nonsense that I thought about briefly, but I'm not interested in. Yeah, that's just a totally different angle. Like now we're just like a combo deck. We're not kind of using it to fight the battlefield or like. Well, like I, I would still. And then it's just like, well, if, if you draw a swan or whatever, also swan might just be a worse slow gurk or whatever that's worth. If if you're doing it this way, where it's just like, oh, well, now you have this like combo thing with your assault. But Yeah. Uh, what about just like red, green, rampy stuff? Uh, basically scape shift. So that's kind of where I thought you were going initially earlier. And like back when I originally got on creativity, like 18 months ago, like scape shift had a little blip at the same moment of being like a little bit of a resurgence. And I did play games with it and enjoy it. I think that's always a deck that is overperformed in like all formats and that, you know, tournaments. Yeah. Like Valica just has a knack for winning tournaments. Yeah, card is is kind of busted. It's kind of busted. It wins tournaments. It like is it, it has historically always exceeded and overperformed whatever I thought it was going to do. Um it's hard to imagine like you're probably just a bad amulet deck at that point. But maybe you're attacking from a different enough angle that that's okay. You're an amulet deck that ends up being really good against creatures. Yeah, and you have this like inevitability that's maybe like two turns slower than what most of the other decks are in modern. And the idea is like your early game interaction is enough to make that worthwhile. Yeah, so one of the other things that I thought about using to accelerate was just Grazer. 
Yeah, see, that makes a little bit more sense to me because like the Valakit Titan deck in modern already like just has this thing where if it gets to turn six, seven, eight or whatever, and you don't do enough to interact with them, like they're just going to kill you no matter what. Well, yeah, I mean, they basically don't play Titan anymore, which is kind of the reason why I like merging these two things together because you can just play the stuff that is just like, I'm going to shit all of my lands into play. I'm going to loam a bunch of stuff back and then I'm either going to Valakut you or assault you. and uh, the card Wish just solidifies both. Glues ends. it all together. Yeah, I could buy that. So I think it's interesting. It's not the thing that I'm most interested in, but I do think it's potentially pretty good. Yeah, I, I could buy that. And um, if I saw some of that at the top tables over the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't be totally shocked. Uh, my friend Evan posted that he went 4-1 in a league with uh, Thoughtseize, Assault, Creativity. Uh, did add the second Terminate. Uh, said his loss was to Hammer in game three, break down land number three for three turns. Yeah. And then he said, time to buy some Sotsmi Assaults. And it's just like, dude, I had to go looking for them, but I found my Exodus ones. And I, I also already ordered four because I didn't know where my Assaults were. But I, I ordered four. I they were like 35 cents each, and I paid like $6 for shipping. Yeah, I mean, loans are $9. Oh, no. But yeah. Uh, This weekend's going to be interesting. Uh, I am tempted to play, if for no other reason uh, than to potentially just mess up Denver for everyone. Oh, that's very appealing. I think it'd be really funny. Well, you're playing Denver. That's the one I'm not going to let you skip. So, Well, I'm going. I have a flight, and I'm staying with someone who I would feel bad if I skipped out. Yeah, I'm going to make you feel worse if you skip. So just pre precursor spoiler. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't have to do anything. I didn't say you have to. I just said you're going to feel real bad if you don't. Um, I, I'm trying to eliminate those thoughts from your brain before they get there, you know? I, but, I'm def, I've never felt bad after skipping a tournament. I will say that. That's fair. What, um, when do you get in this weekend? Uh, Thursday, 10.30 p.m. Pretty late. Late Thursday. Okay. You? I am probably not going to arrive until Saturday morning. No. Yeah, because we are, I am in Maine for the week in a log cabin in a little small house locked in the woods and we got snowed in, which is fun. Um, And I'm here until Thursday. So we drive home, I'm driving home three or four hours Thursday and then kind of got a reset Friday. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, my plan is to come Saturday morning and spend the night Saturday with you guys and then go back Sunday. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're also doing Denver the week after, so... Uh, making this trip as short as possible certainly makes sense. I'm doing Denver. I'm bringing the little guy with me. Leo. Which will be fun. Yeah. So that'll be an exciting trip. Oh, no. I, I'm remembering uh, the first time I talked to Leo on on video chat, and I hadn't shaved in a couple days, and then he just started He called you the mustache, mustache man. man. Yeah. I currently have the mustache again. Oh, man. Every board game we play, man, I don't know why he associates you with games. I guess that makes sense, but it hasn't been his experiences with you. But we've been trying to expose him to more games, especially, you know, in the little log cabin. And he always reserves a color for you. That's awesome. Is it always every, yellow? Every game. Well, yellow gets picked last usually in general. Oh, brutal. I mean, he has to be blue at everything he does. He will fight you for the blue piece. Uh, uh, he's your kid. Yeah. I mean, I I guess. <laughs> um, I troll him every time and try to take it right. And that doesn't ever go well. 
Um, but yeah, he's always, there's, there's three of us, right? Me, Leo and mom, and most of the games have a fourth piece. And he's like, that one can be Jerry for when he comes back and visits us. It's so nice. Yeah. So you got a bunch of game pieces reserved. So, so nice, man. It's fun. The, it's so weird that like the sweetest that anyone has ever been to me is a three-year-old. Dude, three-year-old brains are the weirdest things. They can be so mean and so sweet at the same time. It's like wild. Yeah. Without even realizing it. I, I think it might have been the Suica. It might have been Watermelon Game. Yeah, it was definitely the Watermelon Game. He still talks about the Watermelon Game. Dude, maybe yeah. that's why. I don't know. Like all, a, lot of the, a lot of those fruits are like yellowish. That's probably yeah. why. Or like the background's yellow, you know? Yeah. Anyway, uh-huh. that's great. Leo's great. You're great. Uh, Seismic Salt is great. Uh, killing creatures is awesome. Big fan. Yeah, good luck with your two toughest creatures. Yeah. Game. Good luck.